Welcome to Northridge Church. Welcome home and welcome to the family. And I hope you, you feel that tangible difference. A difference that, man, we don't desire to be a big crowd. We desire to be a family who, who knows you and cares for you, a place where you can belong, where you can learn to believe and you can become more like Jesus Christ. And so we're honored to have you here this morning. And if you got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to grab them. Jump to Matthew chapter six. We're gonna kind of plant ourselves there this morning, Matthew chapter six. If you got your mountain mover booklet, it's gonna be on page 39 where you can take notes along with today's sermon. If you're more of a digital perp- person, you can jump into the Northridge Church app as well. Well, and as you make your way to Matthew chapter 6, if you've ever been to, to my house, Ashley and I and our family, we have, if you look at it, it looks like a farmhouse. We've got a front porch with the pillars. And, and one of my favorite places at, at our home is on the side of the front porch, there is a porch swing. It's one of my favorite places to hang out. And it's more than a porch swing to me. It came from the house that I grew up in. It was a gift from my mom and my dad. So it holds some special meaning to me. And man, I just love on, on a warm day to feel the, the breeze in my hair, the, the sun kind of hitting my body, watching the flowers bloom, my kids playing in the yard. It doesn't get any better than that. It's a great place to read, do your devotions. And in fact, in the summer months, we will often have breakfast out on that front porch and I fight the kids over who gets to sit on the porch swing. And so one spring day, Ashley and I, we were out on the porch. I was chilling on the swing and Ashley was doing some spring decorating. And all of a sudden, we heard this boom, this crash. And unfortunately for me, it was me going down on the porch swing. Right on my booty. And it hurt. It bruised my tailbone, and I looked over to my wife to get some comfort, and she's trying to muster up some concern in her face as she laughs at me. I'm like, babe, that hurt. That like I crashed, and the thing was fall, and you know, I milked it for like three months. Um, but eventually my wife looked at me and she was like, Drew you need to fix the porch swing. Like you have to hang it back up. And so I went and I got some chain and I I bolted it into the beams going across the the roof of our, our porch and I got it all back to where it was. But the truth was, my favorite place on the front porch was now tainted. Now, I, every time I get near the porch swing, I'm slightly nervous. I don't trust that swing anymore. My faith in it has kind of waned. And the truth is, is that porch swing is a picture of a lot of our lives. Because when we first experienced the gospel as followers of Christ, it became alive in our hearts. And we would do anything in faith, whatever God asks us to take a risk, we would go for it because we trusted God. But over the course of our lives, circumstances have happened. Hardships have come, and guess what has happened? Our faith has waned. Our trust in God over circumstances has begun begun to diminish. And so today, we're starting a brand new series tied with that one word, faith. And in this series called Mountain Mover, we're going to look at the moments where Jesus challenged his disciples and his followers' lack of faith. The moments where he said, you have little faith. 
And we kind of see this progression in Matthew. We start in Matthew 6. Next week we'll be in Matthew 8 and then Matthew 14 and then Matthew 17. And the series is built around this one verse where Jesus says these words. He says, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And you know, when I read this, this passage, two things happen in my heart. The first thing is I am inspired. I'm like, wow, how amazing is that? That through the, the power of God, through my faith, that I can move a mountain, that, that nothing will be impossible for me. That's inspiring, it's encouraging. It's like, wow, how amazing is that? But then secondarily, there's something in my heart, in my American Christianity, in the skepticism of the Northeast. I read that and I'm like, really, God? Are you really telling me I can tell a mountain to move? You're really telling me that nothing will be impossible for me? I get your words. I get the sentiment, God. But, but I, I, you have to be exaggerating, right? There's no way I could hold such power through faith. And it's led me to this question that I want to swirl around this entire series. Has God stopped moving mountains? Or has our faith become so small that mountains stopped moving? I mean, is it honestly a God problem where God just got tired and, and weary of doing the miraculous and the amazing, where he was just like, you know what, I'm just going to retire from all that crazy stuff? Or have we as Christians, our faith in God through circumstance after circumstances has gotten so tiny that God, mountains stopped moving? And this series is, is kind of like a pinnacle moment in the life of our church because it's wrapped around, it's tethered with us taking the gospel to another location in the Rochester area, in the Brighton community. And it's moment in series like these where we are reminded as a church why we exist in the first place. I mean, honestly, have you ever wondered that? Like, why, why did God, for some reason, place Northridge Church here in the greater Rochester community? Why are we here? Right? If you boil down that, that question, why, Northridge is why, you can sum it up in two words, more and better. You see, we have a desire here at Northridge Church to do two things, that we want to reach out to our community in their hopelessness and introduce them to Jesus' cross and resurrection that can transform their lives. And then at the same time, as Christ followers, we want to model and emulate our lives to look more like Jesus as we progress through life. More disciples and better disciples. This balance of, of growing outward and reaching outward, but yet growing deeper inward and looking more like Jesus. And the way that we do that is through a vision. And our vision here at Northridge Church, what we want to accomplish together as the body of Christ, is our vision is to saturate the greater Rochester area with the transformation power of the gospel. Amen. That when I get old and you are kicking me out of this place when I won't leave, I want to look back and you know what I don't want to celebrate? Wow, we have a big church. 
You know what I don't want to see? Oh, man, look at all the, the, the money and the budgets that we have to do whatever we want. You know what I want to celebrate? I want to look back and be like, you know what? Look at what God did in people's lives throughout this community. Look at the transformation because the gospel has the power to transform and redeem anything. Many people have given up on this city. Can I tell you, God hasn't. Many people have given up on this area, but this church hasn't. Because we believe the gospel can give hope to the hopeless. We believe the gospel can give peace to the worried. It can give strength to the weary. It can bring light into the darkness. That the gospel has the power to transform your marriage and your future. It can change your eternity. It can overcome your addiction. It can heal your brokenness. And it can breathe life into your dead bones. Amen, church? Come on. And the truth is... It's for many of us. We don't have to look at anybody else's life to see the tangible difference the gospel has made. Because for me, all I have to do is look in the mirror and recognize through the power of Jesus' cross and his resurrection, it gave life to my dead bones. It set me free from the slavery and the bondage of sin. And all you have to do is look at your life and recognize the man that you are, the woman that you are, is because of God's redemptive work in you. So as a church, we will have big faith and we will take risks to bring the gospel to our community, our neighborhoods, our schools, and our families' lives. But we recognize that the gospel came at a cost. It cost Jesus greatly. And to take the gospel to another community in the Rochester area, it will cost us. We will have to sacrifice. A couple months ago, our church voted to buy a building in the Brighton community. And that building, I wish people would just give us buildings. We would use them, but that's not the way the world works. The building cost $1.6 million. We took contractors through and said, what would it take to get us ready for September, October to launch? They said $1.1 million. And so that's a total of $2.7 million. And what I love about this series is in this series, we're not just going to learn about faith and fill our head with knowledge. We're going to have an opportunity to display our faith through sacrifice. By giving, March 26, which is in three weeks, we are going to bring our offerings over and above our regular giving over two years to make this possible. And as a church, again, this is not just about Northridge. We're going to take 10% of everything that is given, and we're going to give it back to our community to invest in our Beyond Partners. And this is going to take sacrifice from all of us. And so I'm going to be upfront and honest with you. I don't want to bamboozle you. I don't want to manipulate you. I want to be honest with you. And so this four-week series, I have two goals. The first goal is that God would stretch our faith through sacrificial giving. That we would get to a place in our life where we trust God enough to do whatever he asks us to do. And then secondly, that we would pave the way to bring the gospel to another community in the Rochester area. But I get it. Because anytime we talk about money or giving or sacrifice or generosity, something happens in my heart and your heart. It often causes us to feel a little bit tense, maybe a little bit awkward, a little bit stressed. 
I, I get it, right? Because I'm the one who has to communicate these details. And what often, when we, we bring up the conversation of money, it often causes us to feel a little bit anxious and a little bit worried. In fact, some of us might even be thinking like, oh, here we go again. Another church that is just after our money. And, and honestly, if you feel that way, I mean, I, I am so sorry um, for my poor communication. Because this church isn't after your money. This church is after the gospel taking root in the greater Rochester community. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Wait, Drew, listen, I'm excited, but isn't the economy terrible right now? And aren't we headed towards a recession? It just feels like bad timing. Or maybe you're saying, you know, I'm excited, but Drew, if you just knew my finances and, and what we're going through in our journey, and, and what happens is when we talk about this topic, it causes all of us to feel a little anxious and a lot of worry. And you know what's amazing? Is the first place Jesus challenges his followers when it came to their lack of faith, it was tied with worry. In fact, Matthew 6, we see that starting in verse 25. And instead of reading you these words, we thought we'd show you this passage in a unique way. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, Add a single hour to your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. It's amazing the words of Jesus tied to worry where he challenges us on faith. And it's almost as if Jesus is teaching us that the beginning or the origin of our worry stems from little faith. That when we worry and we feel anxious in life, what we are doing is we are declaring with our life that we don't trust God as sustainer, as healer, as provider. It's as our worry is this indicator or this gauge over our faith and worry is declaring that our faith is shrinking diminishing. Let me put it to you like this. I would assume that every single one of us has either driven or ridden in a car. And every car that I have ever been in always comes with a gas gauge. 
And that gas gauge is there to indicate, uh, inform you, sometimes yell at you that you are running low on fuel. And if you get to a point where you don't have fuel, you won't be going anywhere. And listen, I, I love my wife dearly, but I'm pretty sure her parents never taught her about the gas gauge. Because every time I get into her car, I start it up, right, and ding. What the heck is dinging? The gas gauge. I've been in my car getting ready to go, or my wife's car, getting ready to go somewhere, and it says miles till empty. Star, star, star. (laughs) What do you do with star, star, star? You want to have big faith? You want to have a great prayer life? Drive with star, 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 and tell me how good your prayer life gets in that moment. But it's interesting, because it almost is as if Jesus is teaching us that worry is that gauge for us. That when you choose to worry or live with anxiety, it's God revealing to you that the gauge of your faith is going the wrong direction. That your faith is diminishing, and it's an indicator to us. And so Jesus says these words to us. He says, so do not worry, saying What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And so Jesus here, he encourages us. He says, you don't have to worry. You want to know why? Because I know. I'm the God of the universe. I know exactly what you need before you need it. I know exactly what you desire before you ever desire it. But what's interesting and what's always stood out to me in this passage is verse 32. Jesus says, for the pagans run after these things. Jesus teaches us that when we worry, we act like unbelievers. Right? What is a pagan? A, a pagan is someone who doesn't have faith. A pagan is someone who doesn't have belief in God. And, and Jesus is teaching his followers, hey, when you choose to worry, when you choose to posture your, your mind and your heart and your soul with anxious thoughts and, and worry, you actually are acting like somebody who doesn't have faith, like an unbeliever. And man, for someone who worries, probably for all of us who, who have worry struggles, that hurts. Because the last thing I want my life to be postured after is an unbeliever. And when you you think about our culture and you think about people who don't have faith in God, there's two mentalities that, that unbelievers have. The first one is this, that it all depends on me. We see this all throughout our culture where people who don't have faith in God carry this this mantle and this burden that I have to to, to do everything. That that, that my life depends on me, my provision, my wisdom, my abilities, my capacity to take care of things, to protect my family, to provide for my family. And so we see in in non-believers this burden of dependence falls on them, but as Christ followers, we should recognize and live differently that that we aren't depending on ourselves, that we are depending on God. That God is the one we should lean on and rely on. In fact, the Bible teaches that apart from God, you can do nothing. So shouldn't we look different than that? The second mentality of an unbeliever is they look at this life and they say, this is all there is in life. Again, we, we see this all throughout our culture, right? People view life as this short period here on earth, and so our culture says, hey, if this is all we got, we better live it up. 
We better party it up. We better get all the things that we desire and that we want. Let's buy the nice house. Let's get the boat. Let's go after the vacations. Let's just live it up and party up. Live in relationship after relationship. If anything doesn't please you, just get rid of it and move on and chase after things that will please you. Because this is all there is. But as Christ followers, shouldn't our lives look different than that? Knowing that this temporary period on earth, this vapor, it it pales in comparison to what God has in store for us for all of eternity. That we're not here to to live it up, but God has us here for a mission, to, to, to carry the commission of the gospel, to go make disciples that Jesus has placed us here for a purpose and for a ministry. And so we should posture our lives a little bit differently, that we shouldn't, as Christ followers, spend so much time worrying. But how do we do that? I mean, honestly, for something that consumes a lot of us, worry and anxiety, how do we overcome that? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. It has enough trouble on its own. And so Jesus here says you don't don't have to worry. And the way you don't have worry through life is you fix your gaze. You change your focus. Now, notice Jesus doesn't look at us and say, hey, you know, those of you who worry, just, just stop worrying. We've been given that advice before, haven't we? Maybe from a spouse who's frustrated with your worry or a friend. You know, like, hey, I, I, I can't stop worrying. Just, just stop. Just stop worrying. Right? It's terrible advice. You want to know why? Because all we do is worry about not worrying. <laughs> and it just creates a bigger cycle. Jesus encourages you not to worry. And the way he says that you get there is he says, replace your worry with seeking his kingdom. Replace your anxious thoughts with thoughts about what God is doing and what he's living out in life. Replace your worry with seeking his righteousness and his kingdom. Let me ask you this. In your life and in my life, what would our minds be consumed with? What would our actions be like? What would our purchases be like? if we did exactly what Jesus was asking us to do, if we actually chased after his kingdom and his righteousness above anything else, first, you see here in this moment in the life of our church, where we begin to to learn about faith and grow our faith through sacrificing to bring the gospel to another location, you have to ask the question, where does this journey even begin? What what does this look like for all of us? And I believe the journey of sacrifice begins with prayer. The journey of growing faith begins when we seek God. And so as we begin this journey in this series together, I would ask you this week to ask God and to pray for God over two things. The first thing is I would challenge you to, to utter a prayer of evaluation. And we look at our lives and we say, whose kingdom are we really living for? I mean, honestly, when you, when you look at your life, think about the things you do, 
the purchases you make, the time you spend, what kingdom is valuable to you? Is it yours or is it God's? It is so easy as Christ followers. I am so guilty of living for my kingdom. It's easy because we live in a culture that constantly reminds us and tells us to chase after more. Achieve more, gain more, because then you will be more. We live in a culture that constantly pushes us towards individualism and consumerism. And here's what it's doing. It's trying to convince us that there is something in this world that can satisfy us apart from Jesus. And it's a lie. And when we believe that lie, guess what it does? It removes our mind and our heart and our soul and our gaze off of Jesus and onto things. And when our gaze goes off of Jesus and onto things, guess what it creates? A lack of faith which leads to worry. Have you ever wondered why people who have a lot worry the most? It's because the lie our culture tells you that something in this world can ultimately satisfy you. It can't. And what I love about this moment in the life of our church, if we're real, no one likes to sacrifice. I don't like to sacrifice, and neither do you. But there's beauty in sacrifice. Because when we sacrifice, guess who we look like? Guess who we model our lives after? Jesus. You see, this moment for our church is a chance for us to stretch our faith and to grow spiritually. And sure, it will cause you to give up something that you want for the sake of God's kingdom. To invest in something that will last for forever versus something that really holds not much value. And so, this week, would you just evaluate your life and ask the question, which kingdom am I living for? And if you don't know how to answer that question, think about the end of your life. Think about your funeral. When you die, what stories do you want people to tell about you? Do you want people at your funeral to say, man, they ran a dynamic business. They invested their money in the right places. They drove a nice car, had a nice house. You know what they did? They lived the American dream. Jesus says that's what non-believers chase after. So when it comes to my life, and it comes to your life, do you want to live a life of worry or a life of faith? Are you building your kingdom or are you building God's? And take a good hard look. Don't surface level it. Look at your schedule. Look at your bank account and your credit card statements. Look at your relationships. And I promise you, those things will reveal really fast which kingdom you're actually building. So think about it this week. But the second prayer I'd ask you to, to, do, to pray is just to ask. God, what would it look like? What would it be like if you led me to build your kingdom in this moment?
And my prayer for my heart and your heart is that wherever God leads us in this journey of sacrifice, that our faith would be big enough, bold enough to just do exactly what God asks us to do.